Wouldn't life be just a little easier if sometimes we knew the end? Because, you know, let's face it, some of, some of us who like football, you know, Monday morning quarterbacks, well, you know, if he'd only done this, if the coach would have done that and the quarterback would have, we would have won that game. Or maybe in business, there's a decision that's made and we learn down the road, oh, if I had just done that, this would have gone better. I like what uh, David Wilcox wrote about starting with the ending. Listen closely because it's, it's kind of interesting, but there's, there's some deep meaning in here. It says, start with the ending. So many things would go better by starting with the end. If you did live your life the other direction, you know, start with the ending. You know, you'd die first and get that out of the way. And then you'd be able to enjoy your retirement while you're young. Plenty of money, travel, whatever you love. After a while, you get bored with that. You want to be useful. You want to give something back. But by then, it's probably time to go to work. And that first day of work, it's great. You get a gold watch. They show you to your corner office, and you're thinking, man, this is cool. The money's even better than the retirement benefits were. You could do this for a while, and you do. But then, you know, you're starting to feel like you want to do more with people. You want a service-oriented job. So then it's probably time to start searching. You switch jobs, and eventually you find your true calling at the pinnacle of your career working at a summer camp. And it's good. But you see, now you're ready to give up on work because money's not that important to you anymore. You're older and wiser now, and it's probably time to go to college. <laughs> you get your money's worth going to college now that you have some wisdom. So you go to college, and before you know it, you're ready for high school. <laughs> and as you go through your education, you find yourself learning simpler and simpler things. Till with a very beautiful simplicity, you are learning language itself. Hmm. Then you realize anything really worth saying kind of slips past language. So you quit talking. <laughs> Not a big deal. You don't have a lot to say. You're taking yourself a lot lighter now. Well, actually, you are a lot lighter now. <laughs> but when you decide this whole incarnation thing is too much of a burden, you then decide to go out as a glimmer in someone's eye. You see, it's a life well lived because you start with the ending. Die first and get it out of the way. Interesting. Wouldn't life be a little more simple if we knew some of the things in hindsight, beforehand? Jesus was talking again. He was preaching he was standing along the shore of Sea of Galilee. And it says that the people were crowding around him. Jesus had been healing people, casting out demons. Uh, he had been baptized. He'd been doing everything on his own. And now here he was preaching on this morning. And the people were crowding around to hear the word of God, pressing on him so much, the scripture says, that as he looked over and saw a couple of boats, he asked the fishermen if they could use the boat to put out in the sea a little bit, to have some room from the crowd. Peter and his partners in business, James and John and some others, had been out fishing all night. But the scripture says 
They didn't even catch a minnow. Nothing. Zilch. Now, if you're a fisherman and you were raised as a fisherman, you were born and raised in a fishing village, your father was a fisherman, you knew fish. You lived fishing. It's not just what you did, it's who you were. And you didn't catch fish? That's not a good thing. Jesus comes along and Peter says, the scripture says that he was, the original word says that he was very weary from working all night, washing his nets. And Jesus says, Peter, can I use your boat? I want to get in your boat and, and would you push it out just a little so I can talk to these people? Peter obliges, he gets in the boat, he lets Jesus into his boat, pushes out from shore a little bit and Jesus begins to preach. But I want to suggest to you that maybe Jesus was preaching, but in reality, Jesus was fishing. Jesus was casting a big net. Peter's there in his boat, and I have to believe that if Peter's probably a lot like us, let me ask you uh, maybe what you're like. You could have 99 people share something with you that is really nice, and one person share with you something negative, and which one do you tend to focus on? The 99, right? No. There's something a little sick about us that tends to focus on that one negative thing, even though there may have been 99 that said wonderful things. And Peter has probably had thousands of nights of fishing and succeeding. But here's this night of catching nothing. So I can only imagine that Peter is in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus is talking about glorious things of God and his love and the kingdom, and Peter is probably just sitting there going, how am I going to tell the wife? How am I going to go back and tell my wife, I didn't even catch one fish? I have a confession to make. I am one of the world's worst fishermen. I am not lying. Fishing poles and me don't go together very well. I would like it to go together well. But even at a young age, I just didn't really have a gift of catching fish. Uh, I remember my first fishing experience, though, it was kind of rigged. I went to a trout farm. My mom and my grandfather took me to a trout. I'm like, this is easy. <laughs> Put it in and you reel it out. This is great. Trout, this is wonderful. But then I remember going uh, in high school to Catalina on a biology trip. And uh, we were out, never actually went on the island, but just you know, stayed out on a boat and did all kinds of uh, surveys and different things. And the water in Catalina is so clear you can see the fish. And I would cast. I mean, I would find them and try to cast for them. And I, wanted, I never caught one thing. Went on vacation to Kauai one time, and we went out on a boat to go fishing. Guess how many fish I caught? Zero. <laughs> Zero. That doesn't make vacation very good. The people who had the boat felt so bad, they gave me a fish from the people before, <laughs> yeah, just to give to me, because they'd never seen this before in their experience. Terrible fisherman. I, so I kind of empathize a little bit with Peter, even though my uh, career wasn't based on it. So Jesus, as he's there in the boat talking, preaching about the incredible love of God, when he's done, says, Peter, I want you to push out into the deep. We're going to go fishing. Now Peter, the fisherman, and Jesus, a carpenter. I'm not sure how Peter took that. A great preacher, a wonderful teacher, a good carpenter, I'm sure a great carpenter, is going to tell the fishermen how to fish. 
That would be like, you know, our dentists up here. Like one of us maybe who aren't dentists coming into their office and saying, son, let me show you how to do this. And I could see uh, Dr. Hoffer saying, uh, excuse me? Can you show me your credentials? Why, what authority do you have to do this? And so the carpenter Jesus tells Peter, let's push out in the deep. We're going to catch some fish. You know, it's always kind of a strange thing when Jesus enters your domain. The area of life that you have control and authority over. And he gets into your boat and he's going to tell you how to do things that you know how to do. Sure, Jesus knows about saving our lives for eternity, but does he really know about how to help me to be a better teacher? How to be a better principal? How to be a better doctor? How to be a better husband, a better wife, a better... You add to the list. Does he really? As Jesus entered into Peter's domain, the area he thinks that he has control over, because we all have that. We all have those things in our life whatever your boat may be, that, that is your area of control. Where what you say happens. And as parents, we hang on to that as long as we can with our children. And then we realize as time goes on, maybe we didn't really have much control. But, you know, for women, maybe it's your purse. That's your queendom. Right? Men, we know, you do not go into your wife's purse without asking permission. Not that you could find anything anyways, but <laughs> nothing personal, honey. I love you. Um, for a man, it's the remote control, right? Even if a man falls asleep, do not try, if you value your life, to take that remote control out of his hands. People have tried in my house and paid severely for it. Peter and Jesus go out into the deep. And Jesus says, Peter, let's go out into the deep. We're going to catch some fish. And, 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 and Peter says, but Lord, we've been working all night. We didn't catch a thing. Do we really have to go back to this sense of failure that I've experienced? And Jesus says, let's go. And they go out to fish. And Jesus says, let down your nets. And as they let down their nets, the fish just start piling up in the nets. So much so, the scripture says that the nets begin to break. And Peter cries to his other partners, come on, we need another boat. They get their boat. There's two boats out there now. The boats are about 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet deep. The scripture says that both of the boats were filling up with fish, so much so that the boats were sinking. Amazing. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who was fishing that day? Was it Peter or Jesus? Yes. You're right. You got it right. Jesus was fishing hard for Peter that day. Jesus was casting his net for, for Peter. He was trying to draw. He wanted to catch Peter alive for working in his kingdom. And he caught him. He got his attention. And he got him. So much so that Peter saw it. His eyes were opened because before Peter said, whatever you say, master, I'll push out in the deep. At this point, the scripture says that Peter now calls Jesus Lord. Lord, I am a sinner. And he falls at Jesus' knees. And Jesus says these words to Peter. 
don't be afraid. Don't get caught up in this wonderful thing that just happened. Don't be lost in the awe of the moment that I, that I provided fish. Because from now on, you will catch alive people for the kingdom. You see, the, in that passage, there's two words. One word, catch, that's used in two different places. Once where Jesus says, let's push out in the deep and catch, make a catch, which is the typical word for just catching fish or going hunting or whatever it is you do, you're going you're gonna to get it, you're going to consume it. But the word that Jesus uses for catch men is a different word. It means to catch alive. And it's only used one other place in Scripture, and I want to I look at that this morning. It's in 2 Timothy. And Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been, and there's the word, held captive. It's the same word that Jesus uses for catching men. You see, Jesus says either there are people out there who are captive, held captive. They're caught alive by the enemy, and I want people to join me in catching them back, catching them alive in the kingdom. They've been held captive by him to do his will. And Jesus is inviting Peter to join him in catching people alive for the kingdom. See, Jesus, when he was preaching that morning, he was living his passion. He was living his purpose in life. Just before this passage that we're talking about, in chapter 4 at the end, it says about Jesus. At daybreak, he departed and went to a deserted place, and the crowds were looking for him. And when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. What was Jesus' purpose? I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' purpose. And Jesus was living out his purpose that morning in Galilee, and he was going to reveal to Peter his purpose for living as well, to proclaim the kingdom of God. I sometimes hesitate sharing this story because it's somewhat embarrassing. When I was about 18 or 19 years old, I... Um, after high school, I uh, got involved with music a little bit more than I had been growing up. And uh, something happened in my life that my parents, I think, were concerned about. And my mom's here today, so you can interview her afterwards and ask her thoughts on this. Sometimes, you know, you send your kid to Christian school their whole life, and then they decide not to go to a Christian school after high school. And you begin to wonder, oh, no, who might they meet after this? if not in one of our schools. And uh, I was still wrestling with my purpose in life. I was still trying to figure out what God wanted me to do or what I wanted to do. So I decided instead of going you know, right from Christian school into one of our colleges, I decided to go to local community college and try to process that a bit. And uh, in the meantime, I made some friends who I would say are probably not people my parents wish would influence my life. That'd be a nice way of putting it, right, Mom? Needless to say, my mom's prayer life increased dramatically, and uh, she grew closer to Jesus in just a short time. <clears throat> I, um, 
I was starting to get involved with a, a group of guys, a guitarist and a drummer, and I was playing bass at the time, and, and uh, they wanted to learn songs that, that uh, weren't necessarily songs that we played in church. And uh, so we were starting to learn these songs and uh, playing with them. And then I had an unfortunate thing happen to me. I was playing basketball in a basketball league, and I broke my leg. That kind of put me out for a while. I wasn't able to make rehearsals and different things. And while I was lying there uh, several times just thinking about what am I doing, where am I going, I felt the Holy Spirit just come upon me and say, John, what are you doing? You know this is not what I have for you. You need to stop and turn around. And so by God's grace, I, uh, I met with these friends and I told them I'm not going to be able to play with you anymore and, and um, I've just decided to give my life to God and I just think he wants me to do something else. They thought I'd flipped out. Now well, John went off the deep end. He got spiritual on us. He got religion. I, um, I used to stay awake nights after that thinking about the guitarist in this group. I would literally stay awake nights for two reasons. One, because I was so excited about what God was doing in my life and I wanted to share it with him, but I also was so afraid to share it with him. None of us like rejection. None of us like to share about the most important thing in our life and have somebody say they don't want it. But I would stay awake wrestling. One day, by God's grace, I finally got the courage to share the gospel with him. He was over. I was living at my parents' house at the time, and he was over visiting. And I was still trying to just, you know, be friends with him. He was still a friend. I walked him out to his car, and I finally got up the courage. And I said, I said, you know, do you ever just really wonder what happened to me? Would you, really, would you like to know about Jesus? Would you like to know why I decided to give my life to Jesus? And these words I will never, ever forget, and I haven't forgotten to this day. This is what he said. I've been waiting for you to tell me. I felt so ashamed. He's been waiting. He's been waiting for me to tell him. And I shared about why I gave my life to Jesus and asked him if he wanted to give his life to Jesus. And right there in the street in front of my parents' home, he accepted Jesus. God asks us to catch people alive for the kingdom of God. He invites us. He gets into our boat, our areas, of our domain that we think we have control. And he says, let me show you why I've given you this area of authority. You see, you have influence in this area because I want to use that influence to capture people back home. I want to use that influence. I want to use that career. I want to use those gifts and talents that you have to influence people, to get them back from the domain of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of God. I love the words of Sir Francis Drake back in 1577. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves when our dreams have come true because we dream too little, when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore, disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wilder seas, where storm will show your mastery, where losing sight of land will 
we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push us in the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. So we ask in the name of our captain, who is Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus rock the boats of our lives as he pushes us out into the deep so we might catch others alive for his kingdom. <laughs>